Rainbows high and deep. Touchdown, Wisconsin! And this game is underway with a bang! This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. The NFL is absolutely out of control right now. (laughs) So obviously free agency has started, right? We've been talking about the last couple of days. But we got veteran, really good players being cut. We got superstar players being traded on top of it. It's just a lot to chew on. It's a lot to swallow right now. We're going to keep the conversation going here today on the Wisco Sports Show regarding free agency, especially as it pertains to the Packers, because it might might be easy to think this way. Packers signed four free agents yesterday. They're done. They're out of it. Not even close. I think Brian Gutekunst has possibly not just one more deal up his sleeve. I think he might have a couple of more. And I'll give you the numbers to support that because they do have a handsome amount of cap space. And today I really want to dig into some of these contract numbers. I'm not going to get into the guaranteed money and the signing bonus and, and the, the incentives and the escalators. I, I don't care that much. I don't understand it that much. I'm not an accountant. right? I don't work in the front office of an NFL team. And let's be real. You don't really care the dollars and cents of how it works out, just like I don't. How does it affect the salary cap? How does it affect the Packers' ability to sign more free agents, either this year or in the future? What does it mean for the team? Not necessarily for the dollars and cents in the way that the player is going to be paid. So when I say I want to get into contracts, I don't want to get into the boring stuff of the contracts. I just want to pass along the information and start to understand the information that we actually need to know. Because that's what it comes down to. If you've been living under a rock, maybe you took an all-day nap yesterday. I could certainly get on board with that. It has been a week. Uh, Let me fill you in. The Packers signed four free agents yesterday, and we're still continuing to get bits and pieces of information regarding compensation and the way that their contracts are structured. But yesterday, Adrian Amos, the safety from the Bears, Zadarius Smith, outside linebacker, edge rusher from the Ravens, Preston Smith, uh, outside linebacker, pass rusher from Washington, and then Billy Turner, very versatile offensive lineman, from Denver, who I've been trying to learn about because I, I feel awful. I didn't know who Billy Smith, Billy Turner was before yesterday. See, I almost called him the wrong name. So I'm learning as we go. But yesterday we talked individually about these players, what they do well, what their skill sets are. Today I want to talk a little bit on a bigger scale, and I want to hear from you. 608-796-2558 is the five-star telecom talk and text line. And I want to throw this out there. None of these guys have played a snap of football for the Green Bay Packers yet. We, this has not translated to an on-the-field product. So really, any opinion is fair game. As long as you have some reasoning, as long as you have some logic, we could really have any type of discussion possible about these players because it could go a bunch of different ways. So that's what I want to start the show with. I want to explain how the Packers are still a handsome amount under the cap as well. Because yesterday, it would be easy to fall into the thinking, and I, I fell into this thinking at first, of, well, the Packers have, have shot their wad, to put it Plainly, you know, they they are now out of cap space and we're going to wait for the draft. Maybe they'll make a trade. But for the most part, here we sit. This is the way the roster is going to look. Cutting Nick Perry. Clay Matthews probably isn't going to come back. Kentrell Bryce has now been released as well, or they have not tendered him. So he is an unrestricted free agent. They're they're moving bits and pieces. But for the most part, Packers aren't signing Earl Thomas, right? They weren't bringing in Le'Veon Bell, right? A couple free agents who made it to the end of yesterday were pretty much off the table for the Packers in the first place. But certainly after those first four signings, I don't think the Packers are done. And we'll talk about that as the show goes on. Bucks won last night. 5.30, I want to talk about the Bucks, And I, I've got this theory cooking. I've got this idea about the Bucks. Maybe you'll agree. Maybe you won't. And how the Bucks are going to approach the last couple of weeks of the season. Because this is an interesting time in the NBA. A lot of teams have now said, all right, we are going to tank. 
And then there are teams that are like, all right, we know we're really good. We know that we're going to get a, a higher seed in the playoffs. We just want to rest. We want to stay healthy. And then there's teams who are on the bubble fighting for a playoff spot, and there's teams fighting for seeding. All these teams are in different situations right now, which makes the last couple of weeks of the NBA regular season, if I'm being honest, makes it a little awkward, makes it a little clunky. Uh, and, and I think I have a, a good piece of reasoning, a good theory on how the Bucks are going to approach the last month or so of the season. So we'll talk about that at 530. I also want to get to Central Basketball. They had a huge win on Saturday in Wausau against Merrill. So I want to share some tidbits from that game, some entertaining uh, facts. The game wasn't really all that close, but I will pass along you know, some of the leading scores, maybe what they are bringing to the table at the state tournament on Friday. We're going to have to talk to Drew Kelly, uh, the play-by-play man who has been with this team. Uh, throughout the season before he heads off to Madison tomorrow as well. So a lot to get to today. Like I said, I'd love to hear from you on the five-star telecom talk and text line. Twitter's wide open as well, at Keystroker Grand. That's my account. You can find us all at WKTY. Yesterday, we talked about how these moves, it kind of showed, Brian Gutekinds has a bit of a type, right? We, we all know we have that friend uh, who's had a couple relationships uh, throughout the years, and, and you kind of look at all of their significant others, their boyfriends, their girlfriends, and you're like, hey, yeah, they got a type. This type of personality, maybe this color hair, uh, right? They have a type. You can see the pattern. Well, yesterday, I don't know if we can necessarily say that Brian Gutekunst has a type, but he was definitely going for a type of player yesterday. Adrian Amos, really good tackler. That's something that the Packers need. We talk about how the Packers' defense has been poor at tackling. They have poor tacklers. Well, if you want to get better at tackling, you need to invest in guys, whether it's through the draft or through free agency, who are good tacklers. I think they took a step in the right direction yesterday, Adrian Amos. And then you talk about, well, also Adrian Amos, he's missed four games in the last four seasons. Good tackler, and he stays healthy. You talk about Preston Smith, the outside linebacker they got from Washington, the the stand-up pass rusher. He's played in all 64 career games. Guys who stay healthy, guys who are consistent, right? Billy Turner, we've seen this not only under Brian Gutekinds, but go back through Ted Thompson's years. They like offensive linemen who can move around. They like being able to shift and slide their players because it gives them some flexibility on the offensive line. That certainly fits the Packers' M.O. Oh, and by the way, you look at all four of these guys, none of them are over the age of 27. They're 24 to 27, that range. And when you think about it, they do kind of fit the Packers' draft and develop mold. They just didn't draft or develop any of these guys. Zedaria Smith was a former fourth-round pick. It's not like he was a uh, a top-ten pick. Preston Smith, I believe, was in the late 30s or the early 40s. Uh, so that's a second-round pick. A high second-round pick to boot as well. Guys who have been drafted and developed by other teams, right? And the Packers saw something. They think they can extract or, or get something out of these guys that their original teams didn't. I, I know the Bears already have a lot of capital invested in their defense. they got to make choices, right? The Ravens just seemingly let all their pass rushers go in exchange for Earl Thomas and Mark Ingram yesterday. Uh, and Billy Turner, I, I just think his contract was too much for the Broncos to want to take on, especially with all their dead money uh, in quarterbacks right now. Brian Gutekinds and the Packers showed a little bit of their hand yesterday. They want young guys who stay healthy and are versatile. That's all four of, the, all four of those guys fit in that group. Adrian Amos can, can play strong side or weak side. He can come down to the box. He can do a little bit of everything, right? Zadarius Smith can be an around-the-outside guy. He can be a stand-up pass rusher, but he's big and strong. He can also get on the inside, get in a three-point stance, and rush up the gut as well. Gives you something, a little bit of a different look. Preston Smith played in all 64 career games. Billy Turner played all four spots minus center on the offensive line. All these players have a little bit in common, and I think yesterday, uh, Goody may have, sh- may have shown his type a little bit, right? We might have learned something about the Packers' general manager. Bob chimes in on the five-star telecom talk and text line, NFL Nutty League. Bob, yesterday was a whole lot of fun, and when I started the show, 
I was like, free agency is one thing, and that got underway. But you got star players being cut. Eric Berry was cut earlier this afternoon, which we got to talk about coming up after the break. And then Odell Beckham, we almost forget, Odell Beckham wasn't a free agent. He was just straight up traded amid the flurry of free agent signings and cuts and balances and all this stuff. Yeah, by the way, Odell Beckham got traded to Cleveland as well. A lot of big-name players trading paces. Of course, Le'Veon Bell ended up with the Jets late last night, as we kind of figured that he would. They had the most money. That's what Le'Veon Bell was about. Uh, I think it would have been a little bit hypocritical of him to sign elsewhere for less money after sitting out last season. I mean, he can do what he wants. I'm not I'm not questioning Le'Veon Bell, but to follow along with, with the path and, and with the MO that he has carried thus far, you better take the money, man. If you're sitting out, you're not playing for a full year because you don't think you're getting paid enough, you better go get yourself a big contract. So he got the biggest contract possible. Today was is a really interesting day in the NFL because it's it's day it's kind of day three of free agency. The NFL you these teams and these players are announcing they are intending to sign here. So free agency almost lost some of its excitement because we kind of knew where some players were going beforehand. And now we're in wave two of free agency where all the big namers have signed. There's obviously still guys out there. And now after the first wave of signings, teams are like, okay, how can we create more cap space? What veterans can we cut? What salary can we shed? And we definitely saw a flurry of moves this afternoon. Uh, guys who have been released. Eric Berry, Josh Sitton, just to name a couple of veteran players who have been released. And now the Packers do still have a, a handsome amount of cap space. I'm not going to say it's up in the stratosphere. It's about $17 million, give or take, uh, with a little bit of their action this afternoon. They, they made a decision on Geronimo Allison, which is going to cut into their cap a little bit. So we're actually going to get technical. We're going to dig into some numbers. And like I said, when we're talking contracts... When we're talking specific players, I don't want to get into the logistics of a signing bonus and guaranteed money and, and escalators and, and, and um, incentives. That's for the players. That's their money. That's for the agents, the front office, and the players to find out. As fans, that really doesn't impact us. What impacts us? How does the way that the, the, the contract is structured affect the here and now? How do the Packers have cap space left after yesterday? That's the question we're going to ask. That's what I want to talk about. And maybe with that cap space that the Packers are now still wielding, after signing four free agents yesterday, what are they going to do with it? Because there are some options. I don't think they're done yet. We'll talk about that and a whole lot more as the Wisco Sports Show rolls on. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Keep it right here on WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for hanging out. We're talking NFL free agency, of course, as it pertains to the Green Bay Packers. I want your thoughts today. Yesterday, we we kind of set the table, right? Who are the players? Where do they come from? What do they do well? Maybe what are the risks? Today, we're digging into the meal in a little bit more detail. How does these contracts shake out? How does it affect this year's salary cap for the Packers? How might it affect it in the future, right? We're really digging into it in detail. I don't want to get to the details that are boring the details that don't matter. What do we need to know? Let's boil it down to exactly what we need to know and nothing else. 608-796-2558 is the five-star telecom talk and text line. You can join me there. Love to have a conversation. The Packers signed four free agents yesterday, and we've been discussing them. I We talked yesterday, some things, like, like I said, that they do well, some things that maybe might be categorized as a weakness. We got a good overview and, and maybe a, a peek into the mindset and the idea and the, the thought process of Brian Gutekunst and the rest of his team as they're bringing in these players. There's some similarities and some some patterns to be drawn between these guys. Today, we, we know a little bit more uh, specifically about how these contracts shake out. So yesterday, 
we learned that Zadarius Smith's contract is $66 million over four years. 20 of that is a, sign, is a signing bonus, $20 million. And 34 and a half is in the first two years. So Smith's salary cap number this year should be about $8 million. Okay, Preston Smith, $52 million deal, a $16 million signing bonus, and a $6.2 million salary cap hit this year. So that's about, uh, we sit at about 13 a $14.2 million there on the cap this year so far. Amos is $36 million, uh, which is an $11 million signing bonus, 5.9 cap hit this year, which puts him at about 13, 18, just under $19 million against the cap, and $4.5 million going against the cap for Billy Turner this year. So, all in all, that puts the Packers at roughly, just roughly under $17 million this year, remaining in salary cap space. Thank you. Uh, it took a lot of time, it took a lot of effort, it took a lot of sweat and stress for me to boil those numbers down. Uh, and of course, I fact-checked it in multiple sources, because I don't trust my math worth a damn, and you shouldn't either. Uh, Tom Silverstein tweeting out these details of the Journal Sentinel, Pete Doherty, Michael Cohen, uh, your typical members of the Packers beat, uh, all confirming those numbers. Roughly $17 million under the cap. Now, the Packers did tender Geronimo Allison today, which changes things a little bit. That costs... Just about uh, two two point, just under two point one million against the cap, so that's going to take off about one million. So let's say sixteen million to be conservative. That's what the Packers have remaining. Okay, that 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 was basically the hardest thing I did today. Went to a couple of classes. I woke up at six forty five, which is always difficult. The hardest thing for me was counting up basic numbers to try to figure out how much cap space the Packers would have. Just about $16 million after tendering Geronimo Allison this afternoon. So not only is Geronimo Allison going to be back, that's going to shave off a little bit of money. They decided not to tender Kentrell Bryce. So here we sit at just over $16 million on the cap. Now the Packers, after yesterday, I really didn't know how much cap space the Packers would have remaining after yesterday. Because yesterday I wasn't really thinking about it. And why, why would we be, right? We were trying to get to know the new players. We were trying to get to know their strengths, their weaknesses, uh, maybe what Green Bay had in store, what, what their thought processes going into the draft now, right? We were talking big picture. Looking small picture, as it pertains to probably this upcoming week, the Packers are going to have about $16 million in cap space. What should they do with it? They could bring Clay Matthews back. How about that? A little bit of an outside-the-box thinking, right? Heck, maybe Jordy Nelson gets cut. Jared Cook's on the open market still. I would love to bring Jared Cook back, although I think the Raiders would be insane to let him go. He was incredibly productive for them last year. But a couple of big-name veterans being cut today because we're, we're on to almost the second wave of free agency, right? We have the headliners. We have the marquee players that everybody has circled and they're waiting and watching for for weeks before spring, or not spring training, but free agency, right? We know the Le'Veon Bell. Okay, Le'Veon Bell's going to free agent. Where is he going to go? Mark Ingram's going to be a free agent. What about him? Teron, or, uh, Teron Matthew, the honey badger, right? Guys like Earl Thomas, where's he's going to go? Well, now all those players are off the board, and we're on to wave number two, which now there's not so much of a rush. There's not a mad dash to get your hands on these players. So teams are going about it with a little bit more tact, with a little bit more strategy, and the pace has been lessened, right? The foot is not pedal to the metal like it was the last two days, and teams are, are strategizing, and they're trying to create cap space. For example, Eric Berry is a fantastic safety He's a veteran. He provides a lot for Kansas City, but they signed around Matthew and they say, we can't be dealing out that much money to both safeties. We're going to cut Eric Berry and we're going to try to get cap space to improve our team here in the next week or so before uh, the draft eventually comes around in April. Same with the Dolphins who cut Josh Sitton. Uh, Washington released two players this afternoon. Linebacker Zach Smith, the outside linebacker who the Packers maybe want to work with. Remember, that's where one of Mike Pettin's now assistants, the former 
uh, linebacker coach from Washington is now on staff with Mike Pettin. Maybe they go about that. You got to think that Milt Hendrickson, the guy who came over from Baltimore to be one of Brian Gutekind's assistants, uh, a part of his team in the front office, maybe that helped pull in Zadarius Smith, who was drafted by Milt Hendrickson when he was in the Ravens front office. You never know how those connections work. So, so the Washington releases Zach Brown today. Maybe you can forge a Packers connection there. Uh, defensive lineman Stacy McGee as well. And I wrote it down in my notes and I highlighted it because I said I am going to say Casey McGee because uh, Stacy McGee. Come on, now he's a defensive lineman. The Packers probably aren't as interested in D line, and if they are, I think they're going to go the route of Muhammad Wilkerson. We have not heard really anything uh, since last night, or was it the night before? Because there's rumors, and Muhammad Wilkerson, we're talking about waves of free agents, he's not in that marquee wave. He was not a guy who teams were going to go pedal to the metal all out for and probably overpay. Because there's players like that. Earl Thomas, Mark Ingram, Teron Matthew. Those are big name players that are circled by these front offices weeks ago. You're probably going to overpay. You're probably going to move faster and, and make the decision faster than you would like to, but that's the nature of free agency in that first wave. We're now onto the second wave, and a guy like Muhammad Wilkerson is sitting out there. Now, I think it would be a great move for the Packers to bring him back. Because you start to look at the Packers' front seven. You have your two edge rushers, assumedly now, in Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith. And now Kyler Fackrell is a good depth piece, right? Reggie Gilbert, if he turns out to be anything, is now just a depth piece, which is what the Packers want. That's good. Their defensive line I love. I like Kenny Clark. I like Mike Daniels. A young ascending player who I think is going to be a very, very high-level player on the defensive line in Kenny Clark. And then Mike Daniels, who I... If you've listened to the show and we've talked Packers, I love Mike Daniels. He's one of my favorite Packers. I love what he brings. Who's that third guy? I would love Muhammad Wilkerson to play in a rotational role, even if he's not a starter. I would love for them to bring him back. I thought I thought Dean Lowry and Tyler Lancaster both last year played pretty well in relief of Kenny Clark and Mike Daniels and injury. I think they have a good group on the defensive line. That group gets much better with Muhammad Wilkerson there. I think it makes a lot of sense. With the 16 to $17 million the, the Packers are playing with right now in cap space, even after yesterday, I think Muhammad Wilkerson would be a good investment. And look, I, I'm not imploring. I'm not begging the Packers to go drain every single dollar out of their salary cap fund this year. That That's, if you don't get a player you want, and if you can't get him at the price you want, it, it, you don't just spend to spend. I don't think Muhammad Wilkerson is spending to spend. I think there was a good connection last year, and and the first year under a defensive coordinator, a new defensive coordinator, is always going to be difficult, even though Muhammad Wilkerson has plenty of uh, familiarity with Mike Pettin and, and the way that he runs defense. New team last year, new defensive coordinator, new teammates, new staff. Even though he was injured for a good portion, that's information that he can roll over into this year and I think could even be better, even coming off of a really nasty injury. I think that's a good investment for the Packers to make. I think Jared Cook would be a brilliant investment for the Packers to make. I can't imagine why the Raiders would want to let him go. As somebody who had Jared Cook on my fantasy team last year and watched Raiders games and watched them be a dumpster fire, except for Jared Cook, the one guy who was actually a useful weapon for Derek Carr, if he is, if he's still out there, I would love for the Packers to make a play for Jared Cook. Something I'm going to pay attention to. Muhammad Wilkerson is right there. Hell, maybe Jordy Nelson gets cut. We've seen that be the strategy of a lot of teams. Now that the the Raiders have brought in Antonio Brown, we'll see what they do. I, I, I just, I'm fascinated, and I'm always entertained by the second wave of free agency. Guys who one weren't good enough to be scooped up as quick as possible in round number one, like the Le'Veon Bell's of the world, right? And they're still out there. And now you start adding other fish into this pond when veteran players get cut to create cap space. 
Kansas City would love to have Eric Berry. It's not like they're cutting him because they don't think he can ball anymore because they don't like him. They're cutting him to try to make space for a younger, cheaper, better option. For the Packers, I don't think you need a younger, cheaper, better option. I think you need some experience, right? As great as Adrian Amos is, I shouldn't say as great. As fundamentally sound as he is, which is going to make him look great in comparison to what the Packers have had at safety play ever since, what, Clinton Dix's rookie year? And before that, Nick Collins? He's going to look like a great player. But I would love an experienced player to come and be the the quote-unquote quarterback of that defense. Because unless Tremont Williams is playing corner, I love Tremont Williams and, and what he brings as a leader and a veteran on this young defense. But if he's playing out of position, you're asking a lot of him. All right, we want you to lead. We want you to organize our defense. Oh, and by the way, we want you to do it from a position that isn't even your first and most natural position. I think that's a lot to ask of Tremont Williams. I think that's a lot to ask of Jermon Williams. But you do need a team, you do need a player, excuse me, to be that leader on the defense. As much as I like Adrian Amos and I think the signing makes sense, I don't know if he's that guy. The four the four players all signed, uh, three of them on the defensive side are all under the age of 27. I'm not saying to go get a 35-year-old. I'm not going to find the next Julius Peppers, right? That's why you wanted to move away from Clay Matthews, assuming they don't bring him back on a cheaper deal, which I don't, I don't think is in the works. You need a leader. You need a guy to organize uh, among this batch of young players, Jair Alexander, you you invested picks into young players like Jair Alexander and and, uh, and Josh Jackson, right? And Josh Jones. And I think there's talent there. I think there's raw physical talent there, but you need somebody to organize it. You need someone to tie a bow around it and make it come together and make it into a finished product. And I, and I don't know if that player is on the Packers defense. Muhammad Wilkerson would go a long way into that. And I think signing a veteran on the back end, I, I don't think they Eric Berry is going to be in the cards. I don't think they have enough money to make that make that happen, but we've seen safeties be undervalued in the last couple of years. Maybe Eric Berry doesn't find a big deal. You need that guy to organize, to lead, to teach all of your young, talented players, hopefully talented players, that you have invested in in the last couple of years. 608-796-2558. That's the five-star telecom talking text line. You can join me when we come back. I want to talk Bucks. We haven't talked Bucks yet this week. Isn't that ridiculous? It's exciting to be talking about the Packers with this much interest again. The Bucs won last night. Yeah, they beat the Pelicans. The Pelicans stink. What does it mean? I'm, I think I've started to learn yet another angle on this Bucks team and how they're going to handle this last stretch of the NBA season because it's a very awkward, messy time in the association. A lot of teams are in a lot of different spots, and I think I have figured out how the Bucs are going to navigate through this final stretch as we approach the playoffs. That coming up next as the Wisco Sports Show keeps rolling here on WKTY. <laughs> Great, uh, great feeling. I, I think tonight uh, we set the tone from the beginning. We, we played with a lot of energy, and we, we really knew how important was this game. We need to get back on track winning and uh, finish with confidence this regular season. That's the Bucks' Nikola Miritich last night after their 130-113 win. Of course, they're playing in New Orleans last night, the former home of Nikola Miritich. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. 96.7 FM, 5.80 AM. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Hope you're having a good day. Good evening. Thanks for jumping aboard. 608-796-2558 is your way to get in touch with me. That's the five-star telecom talk and text line. We just wrapped up some Packers talk. I'm having a blast talking about the Packers right now. I'm just excited to be excited about the Green Bay Packers. We've been talking so much Bucks. We've been talking Brewers, talking Badgers. We've been covering everything. We're actually going to talk Central Basketball. That is lacrosse central basketball coming up here in about 10 or 15 minutes as well. I think I've figured out another piece about the Milwaukee Bucks. 
So last night they won 131-13. Uh, if you didn't watch, you didn't see the box score. It was a pretty well, well, it was an incredibly well-rounded night for their starting five. It wasn't Giannis scoring 45. He didn't really have to. In fact, he only played 26 minutes. 24 points for Giannis, 23 for Middleton, 13 for Lopez, 14 for Bledsoe, 18 for Brogdon. That's about as balanced as you can get, especially when you get 14 for Miritich off the bench, 9 from Snell, 9 from Connick. That's that's just about as well-rounded uh, of a scoring rundown in a box score as you can have, which is great because especially in a game in New Orleans against a team who is basically about to tank, don't really want to win. It doesn't help New Orleans to win. Spread the workload around. Spread the minutes around. If you can only play Giannis 26 minutes, that's great. In fact, nobody played over 30 minutes. Uh, Middleton and Lopez were the only ones to actually crack 30. They played 30 apiece. Giannis, by the way, uh, not that I want to get into box scores because I don't find it all that interesting, but one little nugget uh, that should be, I don't want to say relieving, but reassuring moving forward. Giannis went 10 of 10 from the free throw line last night. So if we can get a, uh, if that makes me feel better, I don't know about you. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. We're going to get that around of applause. 100%. 10 of 10 from the free throw line. I, that's really the only nugget outside of the, the balanced scoring uh, and the minutes that I want to take away from the box score. What I do want to talk about is that I think I've started to figure out the Bucks just a little bit. I was listening to the postgame interview. You just heard uh, a piece of it with Nikola Miritich, who, of course, is a former Pelican, you know, talking about the we're chasing the one seed. You know, we've, we've had nights and they had kind of a bad loss in San Antonio earlier this week. It's, it's not a well, it's not even a loss that we talked about on the show. So I guess you can't take too much away from it. But losing to an inferior team, nonetheless, I, I I think the Bucks have have started to compartmentalize, have started to organize their schedule, especially with them keeping Giannis's minutes just a little bit lower. I mean, they sit at fifty one and seventeen. <laughs> There's it's hard for it would be hard for Budenholzer to get his team to play any harder, to push them any harder, even on a a, a Tuesday night in New Orleans, right? It's just not a, an extremely attainable goal. To ask for your team to go pedal to the metal and kill themselves and all play 35 minutes in New Orleans. Minus, for the most part, Anthony Davis. I think the Bucks have started to compartmentalize. I think they've really started to separate some of these games. And we talked about this last week, right? They had a loss in Utah without any point guards. And then they lose on Monday night in Phoenix. I think the Bucks look at some of these games. And I'm going to call them sleepwalking games. That's what I'm going to call them. Not that the Bucks go into these games to sleepwalk. I just think it's a good way to to categorize it. The Bucks know that sleepwalking or, or just even playing halfway, they're going to be able to beat a good portion of teams in the NBA, right? You look at the last couple of games, Charlotte, New Orleans, Indiana, who they crushed. Phoenix, they lost to, but I, I'll specify that in a little bit. Beating Chicago not too long too long ago, right? There's some of these games where the Bucks are just so vastly superior. And there's a lot less parity in the NBA than there is in the NFL, especially this time of year. Because we're about a month away from the playoffs, some teams have had their fate decided, right? They're going to actually start sitting their better players, play their young guys, and lose as many games as possible. Tank. Especially at the bottom level, right? The teams who actually have a shot at the number one overall pick and for Zion Williamson this year, they're really going to put it in the tank. So you have all these teams that are in different positions. The Bucks just trying to get that one seed, just trying to hold on to the one seed and stay rested in the meantime. Then you have your teams like the Pacers, the Sixers, who are fighting for better seeding in the middle, but they're not going to kill themselves to do it. You have teams on the bubble who are just trying to make the playoffs, and they're going to play hard for it. And then there's teams who are like, man, we're not going to get a great pick. We're not going to make the playoffs. Who really cares? And then there are the teams who are really tanking. All these teams in the NBA are in different positions, and it makes these matchups and the timing of these matchups interesting at the end of the year. And the Bucks, I think, are picking their spots. Monday night in Phoenix, uh, a week and a couple of days ago, I think they picked their spot. They went into that game and they're saying, I'm not getting hurt for this. 
Right? I'm not running out in transition. I'm not busting my balls on defense for this game. But I think the Bucks know that even sleepwalking, uh, for all intents and purposes, through some of these games, that they're still so vastly superior. 51 and 17. They're good enough to beat most of these teams on even some of their worst nights without effort. Thing is, you got to hit your shots, right? Your shots got to fall. It's this fascinating thing about the sport of basketball where all the time, you know, in coaching in coaching interviews after the game, they say, hey, shots just didn't fall. There's not much you can do about that. Like, there's a little bit of luck involved. And I think with the Milwaukee Bucks, they can sleepwalk through some of these games. They can sleepwalk through New Orleans and through Phoenix and through Charlotte. They're sh- they just have to shoot okay. Last night, the Bucks shot really well. I, I don't mean to continue to go back to the box score. The Bucks probably didn't go all out. They probably didn't go balls to the walls last night, dare I say. Right? I, I it, You never want to question the, the, the effort. But the Bucks knew last night. They're going up against an inferior team, even though it was on the road, right? Their shots just fell. Even Giannis going 10 of 10 from the from the free throw line. That's a great example. Brogdon, 2 of 4 from beyond the line. Lopez hit a 3. Middleton hit two threes. Bledsoe hit... He only took 4. He was 1 of 3. Miritich made a 3. They weren't just heaving up threes at a crazy clip last night. It's not what they did. They actually only shot about 27.5% from beyond the 3-point line, but that's good enough. They only took 36 threes. They made 10 of them. It's not necessarily about taking more. It's maybe just about taking better shots and hitting them. The Bucks know that when they go into a game like last night, or Charlotte a couple of nights ago, or Phoenix last week, I'll use that as an example, that they probably don't have to strain themselves on defense and in transition. Maybe they can get a little sloppy. Maybe they can even get a little lazy if they just are any any piece of consistent from beyond the line. If they just get some semblance of consistency in their shooting. And a lot of that is luck, right? Your coaches all the time. I can't yell I can't yell at my players to get them to hit shots. It's, it's either you make shots or you don't sometimes. If the Bucs just get most of their shots to fall, they can sleepwalk through some of these games. So as we start to look at the schedule, let's start to organize some of these games coming up here in the near future. Last night, they beat the Pelicans. Later on this week, they have some games coming up uh, with Miami. That's on Friday. They have a couple days off. And then they turn around and play Philly on Sunday. I'm actually going to that game. That's going to be a blast. Sunday afternoon, a marquee game on ABC at the Pfizer Forum. That's a 2.30 tip. That's going to be a game to get up for. Right? Absolutely. The Bucks, the Bucks aren't sleepwalking into that game. Maybe Miami on Friday, although I doubt it with all this time off. You get Wednesday and Thursday off, you get two days off. They have the Lakers next week at home. I think they'll go all out for that game, just because it's LeBron, just because it's the Lakers. But then you got Cleveland. Eh. You got Miami at home. Eh. Back to Cleveland. Eh. Houston at home, I think you get up for that game. Get the Clippers at home, I think you get up that for game. But but then you go to Atlanta, go to Brooklyn. Like You look at some of these games, you look at some of these teams, look at some of these games, and the Bucks are like, yeah, I think we can... Let's circle that game on the calendar. I think we can kind of walk through. I think we can walk through that game. As long as we hit our shots, we should be able to win. Because the Bucks are so much better than most of these teams. Two games against Atlanta still on the schedule. They got Cleveland twice. Los Angeles is actually playing pretty poor. So that matchup at the Pfizer Forum probably doesn't have the, the intrigue that it once did. Brooklyn should be, those should be fun games. Miami's always tough. I have a lot of respect for that organization and, and how they do things. They're always competitive. The, the Bucks know. That where they sit right now, with an incredible record of fifty-one and seventeen, that we we can maybe phone it in once in a while. Like when we're in Phoenix, I'm not running out in transition. I'm not going to twist my ankle playing defense. As long as we hit our shots, we should be able to win. That's why they didn't win in Phoenix. It's just because they their shots didn't fall. Plain and simple. If they just make a couple more shots, they win. 
I think the Bucks look to sleepwalk through some of these games, and especially now as you try to rest Giannis a little bit and cut his minutes back and, and take the wear and tear off of Bledsoe because he plays very aggressive and maybe give Chris Middleton a breather here and there. Give Brooke Lopez a rest here on the bench here and there. I, I think they look to partition and look to compartmentalize some of these games into categories for the last couple of weeks because the Bucks do have just about as much as you can ask at this portion of the season. With about a month to go, they they have that one seat under wraps. They They could play 500 basketball, which is, I think... Basically, the worst you could ask for from the Bucks. I don't think they're going to go under 500 for the final stretch. I think that would be. An, I, I don't think that's even realistic. If the Bucks play 500 basketball, the Raptors still have to play a really, really good stretch to come and take over that one seed. So I don't think the Bucks really have to worry about that. I think it's about getting players the rest that they need. I think it's about getting players the time off that they need, so they're healthy, so they're fresh, so they're ready to go and excited for the playoffs here in about a month or so. That's my thought. I, I'm going to continue to pay attention. Obviously, we're going to watch all the games. You can hear them all right here on WKTY. I, I just think the Bucks are adapting, and they're changing the way that they play and approach each one of these games. It's the disclaimer I'm going to throw on it, at least. I want to continue the basketball conversation. We do have to take a break, but Central beat Merrill on Saturday. I was at that game at Wausau East. Uh, there were a lot more Merrill fans there for reasons that are geographical and easy to understand. It's about a 20-minute drive versus about a three-hour drive from lacrosse. I want to share a couple experiences, a couple things I heard and conversations I had at that game. Uh, also, a couple big shout-outs to some of the Lacrosse Central players. Uh, some players had big games. Some players, I think, don't get talked about enough, so I want to talk about that and set up what we're going to be doing the rest of the week when it comes to Central Basketball and their trip back to state. Coming up next, we're wrapping up the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY with me, your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you're having a good night. There's just a lot going on this week. We have just a flurry of Packer conversation going on. They went hog wild in free agency yesterday. I don't think they're done. Got just under $17 million left in cap space for this season now that they've tendered Geronimo Allison for just over $2 million. Two and, and when I say two and change, it's just about as close to two and change as you can get. It's like 2.025 million or something. So they're just under $17 million in cap space remaining. I, I think they have another move, whether it's Muhammad Wilkerson. I would love to see them bring back Jared Cook. I think that would be excellent. But we'll see. That's a conversation that we're going to continue to have throughout the rest of this week. I do want to talk central basketball because we haven't really had a chance to do it yet this week. Uh, with the Brewers on Monday, and obviously it was Packers, Packers, Packers yesterday. They won at Wausau East on Saturday. They, they whooped up on Merrill. I actually went to call the game because Drew uh, was at state calling Aquinas, calling uh, Melrose Mindoro. So I got the pleasure. I got the opportunity to drive three hours to Wausau on Saturday, and it's really because I funny because I rolled in. I got there about an hour and 15 minutes beforehand, and I start to set up, and I'm looking around the gym, and I, I guess... My geography isn't tremendous. I didn't exactly know where Merrill is. Uh, I know that it's a lot closer to Wausau than La Crosse is. I didn't know Merrill is only like 20 minutes away from Wausau. 20 minutes! Why not just give him a home? Just play it at Merrill. I don't give a damn. Like, you're going to make one team drive three hours and the other 20 minutes? You're telling me there's not a gym somewhere in the middle? I know it can't be perfectly balanced, but good lord. We were definitely spoiled last Thursday night with On Alaska Central just being played at Logan. How awesome was that? Both fan bases, both student sections have a huge opportunity and a fair opportunity to get to the game. 
Saturday, it wasn't necessarily the case, but as I soon figured out, I, I think Central fans just kind of, we're talking about the Bucks sleepwalking through games. I think Central fans slept walk through, <laughs> sleepwalked through that game. And I'm sorry to laugh. I know it's high school sports. Uh, Merrill really isn't in our listening area, so if we have any Merrill folks who happen to be in lacrosse and are happy, uh, happen to be tuned into the Wisco Sports Show, thank you for tuning in. And I don't mean to laugh at your misfortune on Saturday, but I, I, I get set up right. And and three quarters of the gym, maybe maybe more like two thirds, were Merrill fans. I mean, these parents were. They had the T-shirts, right? They had the cheers going. This game was was anything and everything for these fans. Right, it's your classic case of, you know, your high school basketball team who goes on a magical run into the playoffs, one game away from state. They were hyped up. Fans were stands were packed, blue and white from Merrill. Right, go Blue Jays, and then Lacrosse Central the fans come rolling in. Like, oh man, when's this game gonna be over? I gotta hit up Culver's on the way back to Lacrosse. I didn't get a good breakfast in this morning. Yeah, oh, a hotel room for Friday night. Yeah, we got it booked. Uh, Madison on Friday. That's that's a done deal. <laughs> And I almost, I was almost laughing at the misfortune of, of, of Merrill fans because about five minutes into the game, Central's up, I don't know, 10 to two, you know, nine to one, something like that. And Central's inbounding the ball from underneath their own basket, right? And Johnny Davis just comes flying down the lane. Noah Parcher lobs it up to him. Johnny Davis just throws it down right directly off the inbound, right? And, and Merrill had no clue what had happened, right? The center had his back to the, back to Johnny Davis. Jumped right up behind him and slammed the ball down. And at that point, the score was what? 12 to 2, 12 to 1. Didn't matter. And I was like, yeah, this ain't it. This game's over. This game's over. And I know the Merrill fans may have been thinking the same thing. They may have been in a little bit of denial. Uh, it got a little bit closer to halftime. The, the referee got really touchy and, uh, and slowed Central down a little bit. They like to run in transition. They like to press. They like to go for steals, or at least that was their MO on Saturday. And I'm just like, it, maybe I'm an awful person for admitting this. It was kind of fun watching the life and the excitement being sucked out of the out of the Merrill fans on Saturday. Central is just so much better. And we talk about the the final score, first of all, 81-55. It was not close. Let's not lie to ourselves. Wausau East was the neutral site game. Now, Quinn Steckbauer for the Blue Jays was one name that it kept going back to during the broadcast. He had 25 points, and he played pretty well. Now, he scored just about half of, you know, one more bucket, two more buckets. He would have had more than half of the Blue Jays' points, but Central had a nice trio of players uh, playing really well. Johnny Davis with 24, Noah Parcher with 18, David Hayden with 12. And I see Bob chiming in on the five-star telecom talking text line saying if Parcher plays well, so does Central. He's the glue that holds them together. Parcher is such an important player. And I know the last week I've been kind of on this kick talking about Noah Parcher and David Hayden and what they supply to this team because we talk all the time about Johnny Davis. We talk about Terrence Thompson. We talk about Jordan Davis as well and what they do. David Hayden and Noah Parcher, especially, and this isn't a slight to to David Hayden, but especially Noah Parcher, makes the wheels go round, greases the, the the gears for this central team. Because his ability to sit back and, and really control the offense, position everyone, get everything organized, get everybody on the same page, and facilitate from the top of the key. Oh yeah, by the way, he's a tremendous three-point shooter. So the defense has to stay honest. They can't sag into the paint on Terrence Thompson or Johnny Davis. David Hayden and Noah Parcher both keep those defenders all the way out, creating space in the paint for Johnny Davis to work. I, I We talk about Noah Parcher here and there. We talk about David Hayden here and there. Maybe I'm the poster child for talking about Central's backcourt and not necessarily their frontcourt, but I don't think these guys get enough attention. Noah Parcher played tremendously uh, on Saturday. He had 18 points, and and it's funny. Johnny Davis is in, in Terrence Thompson, Jordan Davis are all just a little bit younger. Seniors in the backcourt at, at those positions, at the guards, David Hayden, Noah Parcher, the players who are going to be doing a lot of the ball handling. 
whether you're trying to break a press or why you're initiating half-court offense, there's a lot of responsibility that goes into that. I'm not taking responsibility away from Johnny Davis. Sets up on the elbow, sets up in the high paint, or even down low, uh, and maybe Terrence Thompson scoots out to, to create some space. His job is made a lot easier by David Hayden and Noah Parcher. And let's be real, their job is made easier by Johnny Davis as well. The, the synergy that Central plays with uh, is really fun to watch because nobody is asked to do too much. Terrence Thompson is not asked often to initiate offense uh, on, on a post-touch. right? Johnny Davis really isn't ever asked to initiate from the top of the key off a ball screen. He sets up, and when he finds a soft spot on defense, whether it's in man or zone, and he gets the ball, he goes to work. But his entry pass is often coming. He's getting those touches in the paint already. He's not having to initiate. He's not having to attack. Because the perimeter shooters are so good. And Jordan Davis is a respectable shooter from the corners. And and he loves to shoot from those short corner threes, as we saw on Saturday. Everybody on this team makes everybody else better. And there's a tremendous article right now. I just tweeted it out at WKTY. It's up at WKTYsports.com as well. Rick Solom from WIZM writing not only about Central and has a couple of quotations, one from Terrence Thompson, and I'll give you that here in a moment, but Bangor as well, as they're looking to repeat, and they've had just a run of state championships from multiple teams, both boys and girls. Terrence Thompson, and this is quoted in the article, uh, talked about the pressures of the game, and, and last year versus this year. He said, last year we were more of a raw team. I feel like we're veterans now. Last year, when they made runs, we got down on ourselves. This year we know they're going to go on runs, they're going to hit some tough shots. Basketball is a game of runs. It might be the biggest basketball cliche, I'm not sure. Maybe I'll have to start. Maybe I'll have to do a study. What is the the most used basketball cliche? But it's a game of runs, right? You have to accept that the opposition is going to get hot and go on runs. And inversely, you have to know that we're we're going to too. Central's going to go on runs, but so is the opposition. And when that opposition goes on a run, you have to look to your experienced players like Noah Parcher and David Hayden. But Terrence Thompson and Johnny Davis as well on the inside. Jordan Davis too. They've been to the state tournament now. Heck, Parcher and Hayden have been there more than once. They're veterans. I don't think, like Terrence Thompson said, I don't think they're nearly as raw this year as they were last year. Now, that being said, Milwaukee, Washington, and Nicolay are no slouches. And it's going to be a really, really fun Final Four at the Kohl's Center this weekend. All the coverage is going to be here on WKTY. We're going to preview it tomorrow with Drew Kelly. We're probably going to hear from him on Friday because the game is at about 3.30, 3.15. Drew Kelly's going to go on the air. So that might run into our time. We might turn this into a central postgame show on Friday especially if they're moving on to the state championship. So a lot more central talk to come. Thanks for chiming in on the five-star telecom talk and text line. Got to talk to Brewers tomorrow. Keep the Packers conversation rolling. I don't think they're done. They got moves left to make and about $17 million left in cap space. A lot more to come. Make sure you're tuning in same time, same place tomorrow. Talk to you then.